Well, good morning to each of you. We are a little bit smaller group this morning, various ones. Seems like in the summertime, there's always somewhere for people to be, whether it's family reunions or weddings or, or various events, gatherings. And uh, it is a holiday weekend, and that's affected some people's plans. But I'm glad you are here this morning. And uh, I hope this will be a worshipful time for you. I am just marvel at times at um, the way I sense God directing me to go for a message. And, you know, this has been for the last two weeks I've been preparing this message. And then as I sit here this morning... Our sharing was kind of heavy this morning, wasn't it? Um, the title of the message this morning is Maintaining My Faith When I Face the Worst. Maintaining My Faith When I Face the Worst. This is a, a very real, it's a very relevant, it's a very complex subject this morning. It's going to require this morning uh, two things I need to ask of you. One I need your effort to listen. And secondly, your effort to think. Not just think during the service, but think in the days following about what we're looking at this morning. This morning we're going to be looking at Job. Job is arguably one of the most disturbing and troublesome books of the Bible. If you'll turn in your Bible this morning to Job chapter 2, I'm going to read the first 10 verses, or read this entire chapter, well, the first 10 verses, right? I'll stop at verse 10. Job 2, verse 1 through 10. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. A recent survey of professing Christians, there was a question they were asked, what is your favorite book of the Bible? What book do you read more than any other book in the Bible? And um, the predominant answer was the book of Psalms. A book with much comfort and encouragement. We enjoy as believers the reminder 
of God's faithfulness, that He alone is worthy to be praised, that He is our refuge and our fortress, that He is our light and our salvation, that He is our shepherd. He is our companion through every situation, even through the valley of the shadow of death. And most Christians are at least familiar with the story of Job, even if they've not read the entire book of Job, and I don't know if you have or not. But this morning, I want to suggest that all of us, if we live a normal life, length of life, all of us at times in our Christian lives find ourselves walking somewhat in Job's shoes. We all have to deal with unexplained tragedies, unjustified struggles, unforeseen sickness, undeserved evil. And at some point in our lives, we find ourselves raising our hands to heaven, not in praise, not in prayer, but in being perturbed. A perturbed gesture asking God one question. Why? Why? You see, life can put us in places where we scratch our heads trying to figure out how in the world could the God that is so powerful that He could shape this universe, how could He allow things to come to me that you and I and He know are not my fault? Well, the book of Job is not the first book in the Bible, but it is quite easily substantiated to be the oldest book in the Bible. It's not listed first, the book of Genesis is, but it's the oldest book in the Bible, and it's appropriate that it raises the oldest question for people who are seeking to faithfully serve God. How can God allow bad things to happen to good people? And in our sharing this morning, we heard various things, didn't we? How can omnipotent God, who can create the world out of nothing, how can He not protect and prevent you and I from going through tragedy and struggles and suffering that we don't see how we deserve? Why is it that God does not keep some things from us that we ask Him to keep from us? How can God love us and allow us to struggle? Well, I know in your Sunday school class, you've probably been taught we're not to ask God why. But listen, you will not reach adulthood without sometimes having that question, at least in your mind, if it doesn't come across your lips. Why, God, did you allow this? To happen. It seems obvious to me that you could have prevented it. Well, I find the book of Job to be disturbing for two very real reasons. One of those is that right from verse 1 of chapter 1, if you glance over to that, we have Job's spiritual resume. Listen to what the scripture says about Job. He was perfect. He was upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. Look at verse 8. Even God praises Job. There is none like him on the earth. 
Job is God's man. Job is the type of man that God wishes all men were like. God says there is no one like Job. And yet, and still, Job loses everything. That reason ought to frighten you and me. And it's because this resume says that Job is holier than you or I. And if Job in his holiness can lose everything and struggle and suffer in ways that do not make sense, it would seem to suggest to me that you and I, no matter how much we love the Lord, no matter how much faithfully we may seek to serve Him, we may have to go through things that leave us wondering, how could God do that to me? The second thing that I find disturbing about Job, the book of Job, is Job can't catch a break. If it's not one thing, it's another. Things in Job's life go from bad to worse. When it seems like things can't get worse, they do. Have you been there? Allow me just to review chapter 1 briefly. The scripture says that God was meeting with his servants in heaven, and, and Job sh uh, Satan shows up. Uh, maybe we ought to take from that. A lot of times when we get together, Satan may show up. Satan shows up, and God asks Satan, where, Satan, where have you been? And Satan's just chilling, God, just doing what I always do, walking up and down the earth, checking people out. You're in my domain. And God asked him, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. There's no one that obeys like Job. There's no one that fears me like Job. And Satan says, well, the only reason Job trusts you is you put a hedge around him. And you protect him and you bless him and you, you, you give him all that he could want. If you would ever take your hand of protection off of Job, Job would curse you to your face. How do you think God would respond to that? Well, God took the challenge. And God said to Satan, I'm going to allow Job to be in your hand. But he commands Satan not to touch Job's body. And I don't know if it was that same day or the following day, but very shortly after, Job faces three significant tragedies in one day. He loses all of his possessions, all his cattle, his sheep, his donkeys, his camels. His servants are nearly all killed. And then to make bad matters worse, his ten children are in the home of the eldest son, and an unexpected tornado, storm, comes up and the house collapses and they're all killed. And verse 20 says that through all of that tragedy of that day, Job hangs on to his faith. Verse 21, Job says, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job hangs on to his faith. Well, 
chapter 1 would be wonderful if it stopped there. But we go to chapter 2 and we find it's not over. Satan shows up before God again and God says, where you been, Satan? Oh, just chilling, just checking out, walking up and down the earth. He said, have you noticed my servant Job? Even after all that you've done, have you noticed my servant Job? There is no one like him. He, he still fears God. He still shuns evil. He still holds on to his integrity toward me. And Satan replies, well, yeah, that's because you wouldn't let me touch him. I mean, a man will give up everything for his life, but if you let me touch his flesh and his bones, God, he will curse you to your face. And again, God takes the challenge. God says, go ahead. I'll allow you access, but you cannot take his life. And Satan goes out, determined, I'm convinced this time, to make sure that Job curses God. And of all the diseases and pain that he could afflict, he chooses painful boils. And the scripture says, from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head, Job has been afflicted. Listen, Job has now been pushed as far as a man can be pushed. He's lost everything. All his possessions. He's lost all his servants. He's lost his ten children. He's lost his place in society. And now he has lost his health. And he is sitting on an ash pile. Scraping his sores to get some relief from the pain. And it's in that moment that she shows up. Sister Job. We don't know her first name. It's the only place she shows up in Scripture. But, but Job's wife says four words to him that, that are memorable throughout history. She looks at miserable husband sitting on a pile of ashes. A shadow of who he recently was. And she says to him, Job, give up on God. Give up on your faith. Stop pretending that God's in control. Look at all the grief we've been through. Look at all we've lost. And look at yourself sitting in ashes with your body afflicted with boils. Just curse God and die. Now, now before you and I condemn Job's wife, we need to think a little bit what Job's wife's been through. You see, everything that Job lost in chapter 1, she lost. She had helped him be successful. They have lost everything. And those ten children? She gave birth to every one of them. You see, the way Job's story is told, we, we're only given access to Job's pain and loss, not his wife. We don't get insight into her pain and listen, there's a truth we need to hear here. You and I must be careful about judging another person 
about how we think they are or are not dealing with it. Sometimes we don't even know what it is. You know, we can't judge how something should be handled if we don't even know what it is. You and I don't know the nights that they may have spent up. We don't know how their heart is really broken. We don't know what Job's wife's been dealing with, but this we do know. Job's wife has come to the conclusion that dying would be better than continuing on what they are living like. You see, life for some people can get so tough that the idea of ending it all can seem very desirable. And listen, I want to say to all of us here, when you and I feel like giving up, when you and I feel like there is, there is nowhere else to go, when we feel like God has forsaken us, when we feel like life is not worth living, that is not the voice of God. That's not the Lord speaking into our life. Uh, let me prove that to you from Scripture. In chapter 1, Satan asked God, let me touch everything Job has. And he does. In chapter 2, Satan asked God, let me touch his bone and flesh. God gave Satan permission in chapter 1 to take everything that Job has. And in chapter 2, he lets him touch his bone and flesh. What is one of the things that Job has that's part of everything he has? What is one of the things that Job has that is bone and flesh? What bone and flesh does Job have? Remember Genesis 2.23, what did Adam say about woman? This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. When Job's wife says, curse God and die, she is advocating, she is whispering, she is screaming to Job exactly what Satan wants Job to do. Now here's a good question this morning for us to ponder. If Satan took everything from Job in an attempt to break Job, why didn't he take Job's wife? If he could take everything and God didn't withhold, if he could take his ten children and God didn't hold, God didn't withhold Job's wife from, from Satan, why did Satan not take Job's wife? I think it's because Satan needed someone to whisper into Job's life, curse God and die. You see, whenever we hear a voice, I don't care who it's from, that is saying to us, give up. Give up on the church. Give up on reading your Bible. Give up on praying. It doesn't help. Your life isn't worth living. God doesn't hear your prayers. Things are never going to get better. Whenever we hear that, that's not the voice of God. Job looks at his wife and says, darling, I can't forsake God. I know we've been through a lot, but I can't forsake God. I know things haven't turned out the way we planned. I know things aren't the way we had hoped for. 
I know we've lost our dreams, but God is still on the throne. I still trust Him. I, I can't give up on God. So the question that we wrestle with this morning is back to the title of our message. How could Job still have faith in God? How can you and I maintain our faith in God when we face the worst? How do we still believe in God when we face tragedy after tragedy? Evil after evil, struggle after struggle. How do we maintain our faith when we face the worst? Well, I want to suggest four things. First of all, if we are to maintain our faith, our faith must be in the reality that God is rather than in the reward of righteousness. You see, Satan argued with God, and rightfully so. Job is not following you out of faith, God. Job understands the formula. If Job does this, you'll do this. There's no faith in that. You see, Satan understands a lot of what some believers today call faith is not faith. It's causality. It's cause and effect. If I go to church, then God will do this. If I pray, then God will do this. If I do it, then God will do this. Satan says, that's not faith. That's merely cause and effect. God, I'll prove it to you. Let me take that away. Let Job pray and you don't answer. Let Job worship and things get worse. Then you'll see. Job will curse you to your face. Well, the Lord let Satan break the formula. Job lives right and loses everything. And Job's wife comes to him and says, Job, why are we going to continue to live by faith? It's not working. We were living right and we lost everything. We prayed for our children and they still were taken from us. We did everything right and God didn't do what God should have done. So why should we still walk by faith, Job? And Job says, darling, you talk like one of the foolish women. And that word foolish there is the same word from Psalm 14 where the scripture says, the fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. You see, foolish describes the man who has an atheistic outlook based on the realities of what he's faced in his life. The pain he's faced in his life, the disappointments he's faced in his life. And because of that, he says, there can't be a God. There can't be a God. And Job is saying to his wife, what we've gone through may cause you to act like there is no God. But Job says, but I know. I know that I know that I know that I know that God is on the throne. God is still worthy to be praised. And although we have lost everything, and although you look at what we are going through now, I know God still reigns over our life. He still is the one who is worthy to be praised. You see, Job's faith, listen to this, 
Job's faith was never in what God was doing down here. Job's faith was never in the number of cattle he had and number of sheep he had. Job's faith was never in the abundance of servants he had. Job's faith was never in the blessing of a family of ten children. Job's faith was in the God that's in heaven. And that's where our faith has to be, brothers and sisters. It has to be in the reality of God, not in the reward of righteousness. I trust God this morning because I know He's real. You see, God is looking for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faith. God is looking for people who can look down the road and see the fire in the furnace and say, I know God can deliver me from this. But at the same time say, but if he doesn't choose to do that, I still believe in God. My faith is in the reality of God, not in what he is doing here. Job said in chapter 13, verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Listen to me this morning. Don't let your faith be in what God is doing down here. In your life. The blessings he has given you. Your faith must be in the reality of God. Well, secondly... Our faith has to be in the reality of God. But secondly, our faith has to be authentic. One thing the book of Job gives us is, is space and room to wrestle with God. Okay? God is not upset with us when we question why something is happening. We don't understand what he is doing. Job's wife says to him, she says, curse God and die. Now, that, that, that word curse is from the Hebrew word barach. And, and it's an interesting word because I found in my study, it can be translated, it's peculiar, it can be translated curse or it can be translated bless. Kind of opposite, isn't it? It occurs 371 times in the Old Testament. 327 times of those, it's translated bless. Four times it's translated curse. So why is it translated curse here? Well, there's a couple reasons. One, Job's wife says, look, Barak God and die. Well, you wouldn't bless God and die. So it's pretty good to be cursed God and die. But, but what, what Job's wife is saying is, let your praise, let what you're saying to God be authentic about how you're feeling for God. Come on, Job. Listen, don't tell me it is well with your soul right. Don't tell me everything is right between you and God. Don't tell me you are praising God because our children are all dead. Don't tell me you are thanking God for boils from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. She says, are you maintaining your integrity? Listen, God is much more interested in us coming before him authentically in our pain and even in our anger than he is for you and I to gather to worship pretending to be something we're not. There are many people that have walked away from the Lord and walked away from church because too often in our church services we have this idea that you come to church and everybody is to be joyously praising. Listen, as pastor of this church... I long for our environment here to be 
that you can come and be joyously praising. Or maybe you are so struggling with something that you just need to sit silently. And that's okay. We need not be a museum where we come and admire one another. We need to be a hospital where you can come. And your faith that you're struggling with can find healing and restoration. So our faith has to be in the reality of God, not in the blessing of righteousness. Our faith must be authentic. God can handle it. We must not fake. A third way, if we're going to maintain our faith, our faith has to be anchored in the knowledge that the reign of God is greater than the rule of evil. The reign of God is greater than a rule of evil. Now, now, you might disagree with me this morning on this point. And if you do, we can talk about it later. You see, my job this morning is not to convince you to think like me. My job this morning is to get you to think. And to think about the truth of Scripture. Notice in chapter 1, verse 22, the Scripture says Job never charged God foolishly. He never faulted God. Job lost property, possessions, prestige, and children, but he never criticized God. Rather, he declared what? The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But Job does not believe, and neither does your pastor this morning believe, that all evil is at the hand of God. That every tragedy is God at work. That everything we go through I do not believe is necessarily the will or work of God playing itself out in our lives. Now, let me argue that from Scripture. Look at chapter 2, verse 10, what Job says to his wife. He says, shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? Notice Job does not say, shall we not receive good and evil from the Lord? He, doesn't, he, he knows where good comes from, right? Shall we not receive good from the Lord? But he doesn't say evil from the Lord. You see, Job does not credit evil to God. Job realizes that some of the evil that he has endured cannot be placed at the feet of God because that evil cannot be God's will for his life. Listen, there is a re very real power of evil in this world. It first showed itself in the Garden of Eden. The word is translated evil that Job uses is the Hebrew word ra. It literally means something that's contrary to God's plan. When, when we have the story in Genesis about Noah, it says that the ra of people was constantly against the will of God. And that's why God chose to destroy them. Job says, this is not God. Now hear me this morning. Clearly, there are times that God uses things in our lives that don't make us feel good, but still bring God glory. It's obvious there are times like that. There are trials that make us strong. Yeah, that can be God. There are storms that redirect our life. That's God. There are doors that get closed. That's God. 
They're a thorn in our flesh at times. It causes us to, to reach out and pray to God for grace. That's God. But Job says some evil is not God. Job's ten innocent children that were killed. That was not God. When journalists are beheaded by ISIS terrorists, that's not God. When children are massacred in our schools, that's not the work of God. When Liberian schoolgirls are kidnapped and raped, that's not the work of God. When innocent lives are lost by COVID, that's not God at work. You see, there's an evil that showed its head, as I said, in the garden and still is alive today. Jesus described that evil this way. He says, there is an evil that comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Paul said, there's an evil that we wrestle with. And it's not flesh and bones. It's principalities and powers. Peter says there's an evil that walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may destroy. You see, that's the bad news. There's evil out there. We live in an evil world. But here's the good news. Don't miss the good news. Though evil may reign for a while, God always has the last word. Our God in heaven always has the last word. Our God is greater. Our God is able to correct evil, even if you and I don't see it in our lifetime. You see, God is not worried about proving justice in our lifetime. He's got all eternity to do that. But God will. God is just. He's bigger than all the evil that's on the earth. So how do we maintain our faith when we face the worst? Number one, our faith's got to be in the reality of God, not in the blessing, not in what God is doing here. Number two, our faith has to be expressed in authentic ways, honest praise. And number three, though evil is strong and is, may appear to be ruling, God's reign is greater. Well, the last one I want to close and I want to mention is that we maintain our faith by remembering the faithfulness of God in our past. When you and I cannot see what God is doing today, when today just does not make sense, and when we look at the future and we see the fire and we're fearful of what lies ahead, those are the times you and I need to be able to press rewind and then press play. Those are the times Job could say to his wife, Honey, I know this is the way it looks today, but, but remember, remember the ways that God blessed us in the past. Remember the ten children. God gave us in the past. Remember the blessings we experienced. And if God could do it then, He can do it now. He can do it now. We must never forget the faithfulness of God in our past. 
And that's an important way we maintain our faith when life at the present doesn't make sense. And we look to the future and it looks like a tangled web. We press rewind and then we press play. And we once again reflect on the faithfulness of God. Job considered his situation clearly. Job was not out of his mind, nor was his wife. They knew correctly what they had lost. But more importantly, Job knew who his God was. And that's how we maintain our faith. Let me close with a question. When you and I face tragedy, if God were to come to ask us and say, what's my credit standing with you? Based on your relationship with me and your life, what's my credit standing with you? What would you say? Based on a given day, you might say, God, I don't know if you even know me. But God has proven himself over and over again. He has extended love and grace and mercy to us. He has provided salvation, the gift of eternal life. We are secure in that, my brothers and sisters, no matter what evil we may face. And God can use evil in our lives. But we are not merely victims. Our God is still on the throne. May we never forget that. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice this morning that even in the midst of all the evil of this world, personified by Satan himself, our faith can remain in you. For you alone are worthy to be praised. You alone sit on the throne of heaven. You alone are in control. Your reign is for eternity. Father, may we find solace and comfort and strength for our faith in that truth. In Christ's name we pray.